The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. We are uh, still in John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. We're going to be looking at uh, just verse 24 this morning. Um, Jesus prays knowing that, that very soon he will suffer and die. And he's actually thinking of you. I don't say that in a sentimental sort of way, but the context of this last part of of this prayer, he prays for those who will come to believe in him through the disciples. So that's you. He's praying for those who know and love him. Those, he says, who were given to him by the Father. So if you belong to Jesus, this prayer, it should give you great assurance about where you'll be and what you'll see when you die. Because remember, remember who's praying. It's Jesus. He's the one who prays. And it's not just some request that God may or may not answer. No, he's perfectly one with the Father. Desiring the same thing. Sovereign over all. Unchanging over time. And so we should have, we should have great confidence, great assurance that what Jesus prays, we will experience. And not only assurance, but this should speak to our souls and excite us. Because what we will actually experience is the very satisfaction of what we truly long for. Our souls cry. It's the answer, it's the craving. The answer to the craving that you've had all your life that eludes you. The answer, the promise, the final, all-satisfying joy that awaits you is something that we actually, we actually tend to avoid. We don't like to think about because, well, it involves dying. It involves a small taste of what Jesus experienced, the pain and the suffering and the sadness. But, oh, we need to know and hope in what will forever satisfy us seeing the glory seeing the glory of Christ let's begin our time in prayer father we give thanks for this prayer of jesus that we can we can read that we can know his will and thus your will for us that we can that we can have a sense of his heart that we might have a an expectation of joy one that will far surpass the fleeting pleasures of today. Lord, we don't, want to be, we don't want to be morbid, and yet we also don't want to be blind. So please guard us from being distracted in this life. Help us to recognize what you have done, what you have prayed for us, what you have given us, and what, what awaits us. So strengthen our faith. 
Please assure, please excite us for the glory to come. Please speak to anyone, any uh, who are not sure of this reality. Please call people to this salvation through your word, through the testimony of your people. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Okay, John 17, verse 24. Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I want to keep saying that this is, this is an amazing, this is a powerful prayer. It's incredible. It's as if we are eavesdropping on an intimate moment between Jesus and his father. And not just any moment in time, but on the eve of the cross, the most significant event in all of human history. And we get to listen to this. We get to read this. A prayer that speaks of, of the weightiest of all things, the glory of God, the glory of Christ, the glory that we will, that we will see, we're going to experience And it's hard for us to know what that's going to be like. But we imagine things like, we think of the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus shining. And what was that like? Glory. But his glory is not simply a visual experience. It's a a victorious communication of who he is. And what he's done. So think of, um, think of some much smaller, you know, we, the, here's the best we can do, maybe. Some smaller experiences, smaller weighty events that, that we know that, that give us a sense of, a sense of awe or joy. Uh, a level of identification and participation because I think that's at the heart of what Jesus, what we're going to experience. Small tastes that we enjoy, that we crave. And I think, okay, I'm a guy, I like sports. It's why people like March Madness, right? Last second shot, you know, you're at the buzzer to win the game. Victorious, the crowd goes to the court. People go crazy. Every year, you, there's always some highlight of that. Uh, it's why we love or, or once loved the uh, Olympics. Um, crowning a champion. Playing the national anthem. And so there's this sense of connection to their glory. It's our team. It's our... Isn't it funny? I mean, we, we'll speak sometimes as if we're a part of the team. We'll say we a lot in speaking of whatever team we have. So we're a it's our team, it's our country, it's our, our representative. A sense of shared glory and celebration. And this is a small taste. Our Christian faith obviously is much better than 
any of those things. Not only in the fact that it has to do with, with an eternal victory in what really actually matters, but it also in a sense that we're, we're not mere spectators. We're a part of his story. We are witnesses. We are participants. And, and the circumstances, the, the sufferings of our lives actually complete what Christ began. It's a strange but wonderful connection when Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And of course he's not saying that Christ's atoning death was in any way deficient. No, the point is that we're connected to Jesus. We're his body. His gospel ministry goes on through his disciples and through us. And when we suffer as his body, we fill up. Or we continue telling the story of glory. And so there is glory that we don't simply, simply watch and passively identify with, but a glory that we participate in, that we share There's purpose, in other words. You are not suffering without purpose. There is purpose. There is a weight of glory that has to do with seeing the head of the body, seeing and having a share of Christ and his glory. Jesus prays that we'll see his glory. And in seeing his glory... Certainly we will have a much greater understanding of what we've been a part of. That our momentary light affliction has been preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This realization changes us. It ought to change us in in how we react to various circumstances. People suffering or facing death may be seen as courageous. And yet, for a Christian, what it really is for a Christian is faith. A faith that's a gift of God. And when we know God, we have confidence in him. So when Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, It's not a matter of courage. It's eavesdropping on the heart of Jesus concerning us. And what we hear is not only only his heart, but a powerful statement of of his sovereign will. This word desire in our English Standard Version rightly expresses the heart of Jesus concerning you. And that he longs to be with us. But it can also be translated as the King James does. As will. 
Jesus, our great high priest, Jesus, who is God the Son, Jesus, who is given all authority, who is in perfect agreement with the Father, who is sovereign over all, and his sovereign will involves you. And if you belong to him, he prays, this is my heart's desire, this is my sovereign will, Father, concerning those whom you have given me. This is my will for them, that they, that they may be with me and finally see and fully understand who I am. That they would enjoy my glory. This is going to be, sorry to use the word awesome, awesome in the right use of the word, awesome. Um, There will be no ambiguity. We will gladly bow and confess that he is Lord. We will see him for who he is. And conversely, so will those who spurn him as Savior and Lord. And it speaks to the incredible glory of Christ that for some... They will be so overcome by his glory that they will actually cry out to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come. Who can stand? Glory, victory. Vindication and praise. So if your faith is in Jesus, be assured. He prays to the Father expressing his sovereign will. And not only that, but his heart as well. His desire. His love for you. And when we, when we consider that on the eve of the cross that Jesus thought of anything or anyone but himself and what he was about to face, that's amazing. It's amazing to realize that in this most dreadful of all circumstances that he prayed for us. That he prayed for our joy in being with him. Seeing his glory. What does that say about his heart? His great love and care for us. He actually actually longs for the fellowship of his people. He loves your companionship. He longs to be with his people. This is what we might know as a feeling of grief. Longing. You experience a longing at the death of a loved one. And we're not to grieve like unbelievers without hope, but we grieve. We know what it is to to long to be with them again. And this is the very heart of what Jesus is expressing. He longs to be with us. Concerning this, Matthew Henry wrote, Christ speaks here, As if he did not count his own happiness complete unless he had his elect to share with him in it. 
Richard Phillips also wrote, As much as we look forward to the fulfillment of God's promises for our salvation, so also does Jesus look forward to having us to to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And after conquering in his name, to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they may be with me. This is the longing of our hearts, that we may be with Christ. This is is what heaven is. As Samuel Rutherford prayed, Oh my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven for me. For thou art all the heaven I want. It's not the streets of gold, obviously. It's not even being back together again with loved ones as great as that's going to be. It's seeing Christ's glory. Sharing in this as our inheritance. This is the ultimate. When Jesus says that we will see his glory, it's, it's, again, it's hard to imagine this. But I want to consider three ways or three areas of what it means to see his glory. First, we will see true humanity glorified. Jesus is truly God and truly man. And he is forever in a human body. With glorious scars that speak of his great redemptive work on the cross for us. He took on flesh dwelt among us. He was raised in a physical body that his disciples actually touched. A body that ate food. A body that apparently could go through walls into a locked room where his disciples were hiding. A body that they saw ascend into heaven. Physical. Human. The resurrection and ascension does not do away with his humanity. We will behold our perfect human representative, our brother, our friend, the second Adam, a true humanity, untainted by sin. One author wrote, when we are raised to sit with him upon his throne, we shall, we shall behold his glorified humanity. Behold him, not as his disciples beheld him, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but in that glorified human form in which he shall always be present to the sight and to the embrace of the saints above. Second, truly man, yet we will also see the glory of his deity. And again, we think of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John had this great privilege of seeing Christ's divinity shining forth. We read that he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And it's interesting that Jesus told them not to reveal this to anyone until after his resurrection. And after his resurrection, he 
he revealed his divine glory to all of his disciples who took hold of his feet and worshipped him. <laughs> and one day, this is going to be our experience as well, as we, as we behold his divine glory in the best, most soul-satisfying worship service ever. And a third way in which we will see his glory is in his, his office as our mediator. It's one of the reasons why he needs to be truly man, mediating between man and God. Jesus prayed that we would see the glory that the Father gave to him, and he says before, the glory that he gave to him before the foundation of the world. And that glory speaks of of the eternal plan of God the Father to send the Son, to be the Lamb slain for the forgiveness of our sins. This plan, it wasn't something that God decided to do, we often think of it this way, in response to sin. Man fell, man sinned, and God is like, what am I going to do to fix this problem? No, this is not what he did. It was before the foundations of the world. Before the foundation of the world there existed, we're told in Revelation, a book. And the title of that book is really interesting. Again, this is before the foundation of the world. There's a book, and here's the title. The title is, The Book of Life of the Lamb Who Was Slain. So God knew that he would send his son. There was this agreement within the God that Jesus would willingly come and be that lamb who would die so that we might be saved. God didn't simply react to sin. It was before the creation of the world. And this redemption speaks of his elect. Not a general category of of just people, But specifically, you. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's mind-boggling. It's glorious. It's the role of the mediator. The plan to redeem us before creation. And Jesus says that it's his will... That we see this glory. The glory of true humanity. The one who is God Almighty. Who had always planned to save us. To the praise of his glorious grace. What could be better than this? And yet. It makes us nervous to talk about death. We avoid it. We distract ourselves from thinking about something that we know is associated with that. And when some approach death in a way that simply, let's just, I mean, think of what we've been describing here. So when some approach death, and they're simply being consistent with this truth, this absolute assurance and hope that we should all have, this, we're surprised at this at times. And we call it inspirational or we call it courageous. 
But if we really stop and think about it, shouldn't this be true of all of us? It's faith. Believing the one who cannot lie. Believing the one who can never fail. It's right. It's reasonable to look forward to the ultimate joy we've always longed for. The other day I found some random guy on Facebook who who really said it right. And I think you'll agree with this. It's a good witness to this truth. Uh, So let's watch this video together. Hey everybody, Pastor Dale here. It's a big encouragement to me when you write to say that my posts have got you rethinking your attitude toward death. I've said for years, it's important to be ready for what we know is going to happen. It's not a question of if, only when. And the time to learn to swim is before the boat starts sinking. But my attitude, I can't take any credit for it. If you want to know where I first saw a good example of this, listen to this. Because of my 38 years as a pastor and my experience as a police chaplain, and because Nancy and I have lost many family members and friends, I have been exposed to a lot of deaths. I've been exposed to tragic deaths, which were very hard including the deaths of young people and of children, some not yet born. In those cases, the hurt has dimmed, but never goes completely away. But I've also witnessed some very good deaths. By a good death, I'm referring to the death of a person who approached death without horror, or who was known to be ready to die, whether the death was expected or came suddenly, maybe a death that followed the lifelong struggle with disability. This person was looking forward to their future. I'm not talking about an easy death without pain or struggle, but one where the process gave way to peace. And the very first such death I got to observe close up and in real time was among the best and explains why I'm approaching the end of my life the way I'm trying to. My mother-in-law was Lois Marilyn Schaefer. Our daughter Ann Lois has her name in commemoration of this wonderful woman. After she met and married my father-in-law, Howard Carroll, and they began to raise three children in suburbs outside Chicago, their faith in Christ Jesus came alive. Eventually, they were led to become missionaries and moved to California and then served in both the United States and in Indonesia, where Nancy spent some of her formative years and where her dad worked at a missionary aviation base. Traveling to and from their post, Nancy and her parents visited exciting destinations and many ministry friends, 
in places like India, Japan, Ethiopia, the Congo, Kenya, Hong Kong, the Philippines, Thailand, Afghanistan, Iran, and Israel. And Nancy recalls travel with her mom and dad as tons of fun. She loved her parents and was especially close to her mother. My wife remembers that when she was a little girl, she wished that she and her mom always wore matching clothes so that everyone would know that Lois was her mom. They spent lots of time together, enjoyed talking, sharing company right through the teen years. They truly were best friends and always had been. So when Lois was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, that was bad news. It was 1980. Ovarian cancer is a killer and the treatment was painful and grueling. It was hard for us and Nancy in particular as we watched my mother-in-law endure three surgeries and then all the radiation, the chemo. We looked on helplessly as the therapies robbed her of her health and strength. She immediately lost all her lovely dark hair and her beautiful olive skin turned ashen. A petite woman, she didn't have weight to lose, but it happened nonetheless as she withered away. Lois had so much to live for. She was only 53 when she was diagnosed. She had three grandkids and the expectation of more, including ours. We'd been married for four years, but were postponing children while I was in college and seminary. She was an informal mentor to young women who found her humility and bright spirit so winsome. And she and my father-in-law had entered a new season of life. After just getting by for so many years, they'd finally purchased a little travel trailer they could pull down to the beach where they would enjoy the simple luxury of a cup of coffee and the newspaper. They were looking forward to a little travel around the West. But sadly, that was a very brief dream that came to a close with Lois's diagnosis. I share all that to make a point and to illustrate the example that Lois Carroll was for me. At her young age and with so much to live for, my mother-in-law had every earthly reason to complain about her diagnosis, to complain about her grueling treatment for cancer. Though she wasn't the type to rage at the heavens or shake her fist at God, certainly one might have expected some very deep disappointment. But I never saw that in her. Instead, what we witnessed was a sweet resolve born of her high confidence in the always loving sovereignty of God. Every time we visited, she was more concerned for us than herself, as always. 
while her husband and kids struggled with their future, she was encouraging them, focusing on God's grace right in the middle of her trial. When well-meaning friends came with suggestions of odd remedies or miracle clinics in other countries, she was polite, but chose instead for a conventional regime described by doctors she had trusted for years. Knowing that death always wins, at first anyway, putting up a fight wasn't her first priority. When I say that hers was an exemplary death, what I mean is that she had long ago put her trust in the Lord from the smallest detail of her life to the most important, right through her suffering. I wouldn't describe what she had as courage because to my mind, courage is something we stir up in ourselves. My mother-in-law wouldn't accept that, knowing that her attitude came from the Lord, not herself. And it wasn't just that she had a sunny disposition or a positive mindset or chose joy. A life in ministry with many hurting people had left her with a gritty, realistic outlook on the world. No, she would credit her perspective to the grace of God described by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.8 as a gift from him, something about which no one can brag. Lois Carroll truly was, as the next verse goes on to describe, an example of God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which in her case included dying a hard but hopeful death. Since that time, I've witnessed so many more good deaths, including all our parents and several family members, dozens of loved ones from our present and former church families have gone to be with the Lord, and babies and children of Believing family members and friends have died, some, as I said, even before birth. Yet in almost every case, we've had the privilege of hosting memorial services characterized both by a recognition of loss, but also a sense of great joy. Not because we think that the playgrounds or the fishing and the golfing is going to be great in heaven, not because we think there'll be lots of time to catch up on one's reading or craft projects, things you hear at funerals, though all those things may be included, but mainly because we know the Lord is there and we'll see Him face to face. So heaven will be more exciting and more wonderful than anything this world has to offer. Not a place where disembodied ghosts will be floating around strumming harps, but a new earth where we will enjoy living forever without cancer, without miscarriage, without abuse, or anything that will take away 
from God's glory and our joy. How to get there? Romans 10.9 promises that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And verse 13 repeats, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So despite the judgment we deserve from an always holy God, there is no one who can condemn us and nothing that can keep us from him. From a Roman prison, the Apostle Paul could conclude, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, not ALS, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I would add Christ Jesus who bore the punishment we sinners deserve. In the book of Psalm, it says, Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. On April 1st, 1984, Lois Carroll became the object of just such a death. It was precious, but hard, and especially hard on my 24-year-old wife who has missed her mother every day since, especially since she became a mother without a mother. But we look forward to an upcoming reunion where there will be zero regrets for all those who have trusted Christ in life. Among her well-worn and marked-up Bibles, my mother-in-law kept a journal of scriptures in one, this one, she noted Psalm 105.4, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. And then she wrote, I will seek the Lord's spiritual strength. I need it. And that was her last journal entry. So now you know what's behind the attitude that I hope, by God's grace, to carry with me to my own homegoing, which may be quite soon. Just last week, Nancy and I sat with a kind young pulmonologist and compared recent test results with my past test results. They were represented by a, a timeline, a line definitely headed downhill without too much more room to fall. The good news is I probably won't need to extend my subscription to Popular Preacher magazine. The even better news, I'll be at home with the Lord. I love what one preacher used to say. He said, someday you will hear it said of me that I am dead. But he continued, don't you believe it. In that moment, I'll be more alive than ever before. Same for me and at home with the Lord.
I realized, you know, if anybody here is new for the, this week, uh, that random guy on Facebook is our much-beloved founding pastor, Pastor Dale Metter. And I'd encourage you also, I, I know this video is going to be up on probably his Facebook page and the churches, so share it. It's a wonderful video to share. Um, in my, another week, attempt at humor, I watched this with Dale just the two of us a few days ago, and knowing that it would tweak him a little bit, when it was over, I looked at him and said, I was really courageous of you. So. And it's hard, because we do see it as courageous, but I, I do want to make the point, and he's made the point, um, it's consistent with our faith. It's faith. It's a gift of God. I also wanted to say how much I loved those pictures, and how I recognized Nancy all throughout. But I didn't know who that guy with the big hair was. And, and I especially love this picture because it's like out of the frame. It doesn't even capture it at all. Uh, but seriously, Pastor Dale, has been, he's been preaching this message for years. Way before any hint of ALS. Um... It's because of the good example, as he's expressed, the good example of his mother-in-law, Lois. It's because of what he's seen as a pastor for so many years. It's because of a right view of God and having a high confidence in him instead of in ourselves. It's, It's because P.D. knows God to be loving and sovereign over every circumstance of life even over a diagnosis like ALS and the radical change that that brings to earthly expectations. It's a wonderful, confident, comforting knowledge to have. And yet, this doesn't mean that we, and especially his family, should ignore the pain and the sadness that ALS has brought. Yes, there's a wonderful hope and expectation, but I heard David Pallison say this years ago, and it stuck with me. It's very simple, but so profoundly true. Suffering is suffering because it hurts. And we glorify God by trusting him through the hurt, just like Lois did, just like our pastor is doing. And what we see is not the end of the story because Jesus said that it was his desire, that it's his will that we be with him, that we see his glory. And seeing his glory will be infinitely better than your very best experience here on earth. What a sweet tribute to this truth and Nancy's mom, Lois. I just... I had to put this picture up again because I love this picture. It's so great. Um, young, full of life. And the reality of glory is that she is more alive right now than she ever was before. Pastor Dale described Lois's death as, as an exemplary death. And he said this was so because long before the cancer, Lois put her trust in the Lord. 
from the smallest detail of her life to the most important, right through her suffering. So if you want to have this very same confidence and expectation, if you want to see the glory of Jesus, which will be more exciting and more wonderful than anything this world has to offer, then know, please know the offer of God. Please know that people don't just die and go to heaven. There's a barrier to this glory we've been speaking of. And that barrier is sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your, your sin makes you guilty before God. And since he is a just judge who must punish crimes committed, he's not going to let your crimes go unpunished. If you stand before him, not in the righteousness of Christ, because you have faith in him, but if you stand before God Almighty as a guilty sinner, he will not invite you in. And you will not only be not invited in, but you're going to experience and you won't experience these joys that we've been describing, but instead you're going to experience the opposite. The most terrible punishment of all, the just wrath of God. And this is why Jesus willingly came. He came to save us. To stand in our place. This is the meaning of the cross. To stand in our place, to take this punishment, the wrath of God poured out on Christ that we deserve so that God would be just and and able to forgive you if you repent of your sin, if you accept his gift of salvation, then we can know what Lois knows, what all those who trust in Jesus know. How do we go to heaven? How do we know that we'll see the glory of Jesus? Pastor Dale pointed us to Romans 10.9. Let me read that again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will will be saved. And then verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you haven't done so, will you come? Will you call on the name of the Lord? He is faithful. He is just. He will save you. Let's pray together. Father, please use this this video for your glory. May people see that that these lives are, are evidence of your grace, of your power and might and glory. We ask that you would use use this to call more people to yourself. And as those who are given to Jesus, might we, might we live with great expectation of a much better day where we will truly see Christ in all of his glory, where we will worship him like never before, where we'll have a joy and satisfaction that changes everything, making today's joys seem like the tiniest of appetizers. And today's sufferings as being comparatively light and momentary. All of it 
purposeful. Because all of it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We give you all the praise knowing that Jesus has paid the price and offers us salvation. So we pray in his great name. Amen.